shut up, you're always talking. <laughs> In Italian, it sounds much nicer. Oh, you know, he's content to be a jerk. He doesn't care who knows it. This is the Shut Up, You're Always Talking podcast with pizza artist Eric John. Alright everybody, welcome to the show. It's really great to uh, have you all listening to me today. Uh, this is Shut Up, You're Always Talking. Uh, it's a new podcast. This is the first episode and I'm super excited to be uh, to be doing it. So um, uh, before we uh, jump right into the different topics and the things that I'm going to uh, talk about, uh, I'd like to talk about Yacht Club Soda uh, first. Uh, Yacht Club Soda has been around since 1915, um, making the best, absolute best artisan sodas in the entire world. Um, they've got flavors that'll just blow your mind. There's blue raspberry, there's strawberry, grapefruit. Uh, you've got your traditional flavors like cola and root beer, uh, cream soda. Um, then they've got lots of uh, seasonal blends. There's one called Rody Red that's really, really good. Um, and you can go to yachtclubsoda.com and you can order the soda online. Um, summer's coming up. People are going to be having parties and pool parties and beach hangouts and cookouts and whatever. Um, if you've got Yacht Club Soda at your party, you're going to be a huge hit. I'm just telling you right now. Uh, I've been drinking it my entire life, and um, it beats all the name brands, just just blows them away. Um, so please get yourself to YachtClubSoda.com and order yourself some soda today. All right, let's uh, jump in here. Um, so i got a few topics I wanted to talk about. Um, the first one uh, is John Stewart was on CNN, and he was talking about the Trump indictment. Um, and so I wanted to play some of it and then sort of give you my reaction to it because you know, I think there's this thing that people do um, when when these sorts of things come up where, you know, it's like they they, they pretend that the reality of the situation and, and the way things really are doesn't actually exist. Um, and, you know, it's it just it's just sort of a dishonest take on, on things. And so um, let me play a little bit of this really quickly. Um, we are joined by John Stewart himself. But. Who else would it be? Free. It's nice to see you. Um, I love your aquarium. Thank you. Thank you. Exactly. Yes. Um, we, we can go swimming afterwards. Yes. Um, so I got to ask you, it's a big thing in the news. Donald Trump indictment. There are people. What? Who, no, no. Just uh, stay with me for a minute. There are people I've been watching say, the live cameras at the courthouse. <laughs> it's imminent. You know, I'm sorry. I got to stop it real quick. Does anyone else think that Fareed Zakaria looks like a like a Indian version of uh, Chaz Palminteri. Is anyone am I the only one who sort of picks up on that? Um, he is Indian, right? Um, I don't know. Um, not sure what he is. Um, let's look that up real quick. I don't want to get that wrong. Um, Indian American. All right, I, I know what I'm talking about. He's Indian American. Uh, but man, he does. He looks like an Indian version of. Chaz Palminteri, you know, the actor from A Bronx Tale. Um, just, a, just a side note, something I happened to notice as I was watching this clip. Let's keep playing. Speculation. So there are people who say, yes, you have to indict him because he, he has, in fact, broken the laws. And there are other people who say, this is going to turn him into a martyr. This is his right. path to redemption. Sure. How, how do you think about that? Oh, I, I, the law should always 
take into account someone's popularity. I think that's, that's, oh, I mean, what, what's happened to our country for, it's as though you can't even commit financial fraud anymore. You can't, you can't inflate the value of your properties uh, when you need a loan and then deflate it uh, with taxes. I mean, uh, the next thing you know, they're going to send you to jail instead of your lawyer and your accountant and your campaign manager and everyone else. All right. So, so what he's saying is technically correct. You know, it, if people break the law, they should, you know, the law should be applied equally, no matter who the person is, what their station is, how popular they are, what their position is. Like, I think in a, when it comes down to it, we all agree with that. But he's acting as if this Trump indictment is somehow a representation of that. He's acting as if if Trump gets indicted, then it shows that we don't care who you are. Um, you know, you, we can put you in handcuffs just like anybody else. Well, if that was the case, then wouldn't Hunter Biden be in handcuffs? Wouldn't Joe Biden be in handcuffs? What about Barack Obama? All the illegal drone strikes that he carried out over the you know eight years he was president. Um, you know, the IRS scandal. You know, it's just his lawyers that go to prison, right? He's not talking about that. It's only with Trump. You know, if he if he came on here and said, you know, um, you know, I'm I'm in favor of this Trump indictment. I think that people need to be held responsible. And in addition to that, I really think Joe Biden should be indicted. I really think Barack Obama should be indicted. I really think Bill Clinton should be indicted. You know, if he did that, he'd give himself a lot more credibility. You know, but that's but that's not what he's doing here. Let's keep playing. No, to the idea that someone may face accountability. Uh, who's that rich and powerful is outrageous and this country shouldn't stand for it. <laughs> but, uh, but, but what if it, what if it turns out to be his, his get out of jail free pass? It's his path to people will see him as a martyr. He gets, he, okay. You're I, okay I with that. He, is that, I, he could I don't, become president again. He could become president anyway. Fareed, you, it's, we either have the rule of law or we have no rule of law. Let me just answer that real quick for John Stewart. We don't have the rule of law. It's not a matter of either we have the rule of law or we don't. The, the, the legal system has been used for centuries now um, in, in, a, in, a, in a way that is um, not exactly judicious, okay? In a way that, um, you know, picks and chooses who to prosecute and why. You know, is this person politically connected? Oh, then we're not going to prosecute them. Or, you know, is this person... Um, enemy of the state, then yeah, we're going to prosecute them. Look at Julian Assange. Um, you know, look at uh, Edward Snowden, right? People who ostensibly did the right thing, um, whose you know lives are ruined, and who the U.S. government has gone after with sharp claws and sharp teeth to try to take out. Um, but you could have James Clapper, the head of the CIA basically lie to Congress about the surveillance program and nothing happens to him, right? So it, we don't have rule of law. We have rule of politicians. That's what we have. We have rule of politicians and the politicians are ruled by the big corporations and that's who runs the country. It's not the rule of law. And, you know, I, he's saying, you know, somehow this Trump indictment is an example of the rule of law taking precedence over the rule of, oh, I just don't like this guy. But that's not really the case. They're doing this because they don't like this guy. So I just I don't understand what he's thinking about here. He's, he's being kind of smug about it. And, you know, it's I just don't I don't feel like he's seeing it for what it really is. Um, he's a smart guy. I used to love John Stewart. I used to love The Daily Show back in the day. I mean, he, he used to really I really do feel like he used to look at both sides of the political spectrum pretty equally and used to call out uh, bullshit whenever he saw it, whether it was Fox News, MSNBC. And he loved going after the media. 
um, you know, and he kind of he kind of took a little shot at the very opening of this interview when he was talking about the 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 background, you know, and the set, you know, it's like, like it looks like an aquarium. It's like, what is this? Why why are we doing a new show? And there's like it's like we're in the middle of the ocean here, you know, and and like that kind of stuff's funny. Um, you know, it's funny when you make fun of just one side or you make fun of just you know one end of the spectrum when both sides have you know sort of an equal um equal reason to be made fun of um it's not as funny um let's play a little bit more i'd much rather have the conversation be what is the law what exactly are we saying that that he did his lawyer went to jail for this same situation for a couple of years so what is the crime is it a crime the there reason are people who say it's selective prosecution that this would not everything is selective prosecution. right there he's admitting that he's like everything is selective prosecution. Okay, then what the fuck are you talking about, John? What are you talking about that somehow this is evidence of the rule of law taking precedence over the rule of selective prosecution? You're just everything's selective prosecution. Okay, so then what the fuck is your point? I, I, it's like I I was watching this and it was just it just was just blowing my mind how you know especially someone from like john stewart who i just i when i was younger i revered especially during the iraq war years back in the early to, to mid 2000s even the late, into the late 2000s when he was doing the daily show he was doing heroic work exposing the bullshit behind that war and it's like i just don't know what happened to him you know let's play just a little bit more of this it's, it's like a seven and a half or an eight minute um long segment we're not gonna listen to the whole thing but let's just listen to a little bit more uh, and then we'll move on to the next thing. The reason why Donald Trump became popular in the first place and the reason why these populist movements is that the citizenry have become fed up with the lack of accountability for those in power. We have no accountability in our financial systems. We have no accountability for the bankers. I mean, our uh, Congress trades stocks with information they get making laws and they do it to great success and they won't stop it because they're the ones in charge of making the law about it. And instead of bringing accountability to the rampant corruption that is uh, uh, surrounds our, our government and our financial systems, the Supreme Court just changed the definition of corruption rather than prosecuting it, rather than holding people accountable, they just went, how about this? How about, okay, why don't we just say this? It's, it's even better than that, was that they said, you politicians, you think that's corruption because you're engaging it, but we actually don't think it's corruption. And we're, we're going to tell you, don't worry about it. You can influence Pedal yeah, yeah. as long as you don't explicitly say, this by the way, this money is so that I may influence this law. All right. So, yeah, I mean, he's not wrong here at all. I mean, the, the, the money in politics and look, I'm not someone who thinks that you can really take money out of politics or that's really going to fix anything. You know, if you take the money out of politics, then people are just going to trade favors. It's not like you, you're not getting rid of the quid, uh, quid pro quo economy in Washington just by taking the money out. Um, and actually, maybe in some ways, the money actually makes it possible for it to be more transparent um, in terms of reporting and all that stuff. Um, but no, he's not wrong about that. But again, it just comes back to the point of like, oh, okay, so you're, you're all for arresting Trump. And look, I, I think Trump probably should face the consequences. I, I agree with him on that basic sort of fundamental principle here. Um, Trump should, you know, anybody should be held responsible if they break the law. 
Um, the problem is, is that who's who's the who are the ones prosecuting Trump? It's his enemies in the state. You know, and I think to ignore that fact and to not mention it is dishonest. He he knows this. So why won't he say it? Because he's on CNN and because he, you know, he's been kind of out of the limelight. He's kind of come back into the into the fold in the last few years and he wants to influence. That's what I think. I mean, John Stewart's done some great work with the, um, you know, with the first responders and, and them getting compensated for injuries during 9-11 and all that stuff. And so he's seen a lot of the corruption and, and, the, and the bullshit in Washington. But, you know, to, to act like this is some, you know, moment where we can really show, like, I just, I don't see it. I think it's, I think he's playing into the same bullshit he's, he claims to hate. Um, so anyway, that's what I wanted to say about that. I, I it's just, I heard it, I watched it the other day and I was, I just, it's like, how do people not see what this is really all about? And, and and they go on TV and they don't mention it. They don't mention what it's really all about. You can say Trump should be arrested, but let's not leave out why he's being indicted or why he's being investigated here. Right? It's not for noble uh, uh, purposes here. You know, it's, it's politically motivated. Everything that's done by the government is politically motivated. Everything. Even if someone is doing it because it's the right thing to do, they're probably doing it because maybe doing the right thing is their sort of M.O. and it's sort of their identity and it's going to help them politically. That's how it works. Um, so, yeah, so John Stewart kind of failing on this one. Um, but anyway, let's move on to the next topic. So I have two kids and I, I really wanted to talk about this because I feel like I've discovered something. You know, you see these you see these videos a lot of the time on TikTok or Instagram stories, uh, these parenting hack videos, right? Where it's like, oh, if you do this weird little thing maybe you never thought of, um, you can get your kids to eat their peas. And it works like 90% of the time and everyone kind of um, freaks out. Like, oh my God, this is like the greatest thing since sliced bread. Well, I, when I was raising my kids, when they were very, very little, right? And everyone knows this who has little kids, there are times where they just will not go to sleep, right? Where it seems like, you know, you're driving around in the car for hours, for hours trying to get them to go to sleep sometimes, or you're, you've got them in one of those little uh, baby carriers and you're bouncing them around the yard. I remember one time I had my youngest in the baby carrier and I was just doing like walking, bouncing laps around my backyard. I mean, I, if someone was watching me, they would have been like, that's a crazy person <laughs> that, at that house, that person's crazy. Uh, but you'll do whatever you can to get your kids to go to sleep, um, especially if they really need it. And especially if you really need it, then you're really going to do whatever you have to do. Well, I found something that works. Uh, I mean, if I, w if I said 95% of the time, I, I don't think I'm exaggerating here. Um, so a lot of people play music for their kids, try to get them to go to sleep. There is one person. If you There's like five or six songs by this individual. If you play them, I swear to you. <laughs> 95% of the time, those songs in some sort of iteration, you know, and, and played on repeat will get your kid to go to sleep. Like it just, it's amazing how well it works. So uh, I don't know if any of you have heard of the country artist, Vince Gill, but he has the voice of an angel. Uh, and when you're a tired parent and your kid won't stop crying and you want both of you to go to sleep, Vince Gill is your best friend your absolute best friend in the whole wide world. So I'm going to play, I just want to play an example of one of these songs. This is the one I used most often. Now, sometimes, you know, I, I think maybe if you play or use one of the songs too much, um, it's almost like your kid gets a little used to it. So you do have to use some of the other ones. Um, and um, 
you know, maybe I'll put them in the show notes. I don't know. Maybe not. Um, or I'll just mention some of them. But uh, take a listen to this song. Look, this song could put you to sleep. And I'm not saying Vince Gill is, you know, his music is boring or it's like, oh, God, it's going to put me to sleep. It's more like it's so soothing. It's so soothing and calming. Okay, so this song is called um, Pretty Little Adriana. Listen to this. He hasn't even started singing yet, and already I just feel relaxed. I feel calm. Listen to listen listen to when he starts singing. It's it's, a, it's remarkable, and I I tell everyone who has little kids about this that I can, uh, I because it works so well. It's a lifesaver. Sure have a pretty smile, but sure has been a while. You got the sweetest way. I think about you every day. I miss you so much. Oh, my pretty little lady. So good. Are you lonesome tonight? Oh, my pretty little Oh man, it's it's like it's like butter. It's like melted, warm, melted butter. Uh, Lewis Black has a really great bit about Vince Gill and just how he said. I think he said something like he was doing a bit about having to follow Vince Gill at some benefit and how it was abs- it was just totally impossible to do because um, he's so likable and he's so talented. But he told he said this one thing about Vince Gill's music where it's like taking a bath that's exactly the right temperature it's such a good description of his music and i'm telling you you play these songs your kid will go to the, i i want to go take a nap right now just listening to that little bit it just makes me feel so calm and rested and and you know relaxed um so that's one of them it's called pretty little adriana and you can just play these songs on repeat like over and over again um another one is whenever you come around that's another one uh trying to get over you is another one that's good um there's a bunch i mean honestly if you just play vince gill on like shuffle like if you go on like a pandora or something like that like you'll almost know the songs when they come on which songs are going to work for this for for getting your kids to go to sleep um you know not all of his songs are like that but man it works it works 95 percent of the time it works every time um so i hope parents if you're listening and you're a parent and you got little kids or if you know someone if you know someone who has little kids and their kids are you know having trouble sleeping and you know they won't go to sleep or take a nap when they need to or whatever tell them about the vince gill method um of getting your kids to go to sleep because it's 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 i don't say groundbreaking is the right groundbreaking is really not the right word it's revolutionary that's what it is it's revolutionary it will revolutionize your life <laughs> if you have a kid who has a hard time going to sleep. Um, you know, you put that on, you hold it, you hold the phone or the the speaker, you know, kind of close to them. Um, so it's, you know, it's loud enough where it really, because they like loud noise. Little babies, little kids, they like, actually like loud noise. Um, like people use vacuum cleaners and things like that. This is like a vacuum cleaner that um, was was covered in warm milk and, <laughs> and turned on. Um, it's it's amazing. So you got to try it. You got to try it. All right. I just want to move on to the last topic. So um, 
so I'm a huge Star Wars fan. Uh, I'm a huge Star Wars fan. And it's been a real letdown over the last few years, especially. Just the, the stuff they've put out. I mean, really, ever since the sequel trilogy came out, I mean, like, Force Awakens, when it first came out, was, you know, I think most of us thought, well, it's good. It was obviously, like, just a rerun of A New Hope, you know, pretty much. Like, the same uh, plot points. It was pretty much the same story. It wasn't that different. But, I mean, but, I mean, it was... It was pretty good. It was fun. It felt like Star Wars. You know, it felt like the story had some place to go. Um, I don't really, like, I didn't really ever like the way they treated Han Solo in the movie. Um, and Luke was only in it for a second. I think they missed an opportunity there to have those three characters all be together. Um, but you could have seen where, where it was going to go. And, and it's so obvious when they came out with The Last Jedi that, and I think this is a product of, you know, when you have two different people doing two different movies in the same trilogy, uh, you run into these sorts of problems because it was pretty much set up in that Force Awakens movie that Rey was somehow connected to Luke or to Anakin or to the Skywalker family in some way, right? Because the, the, the lightsaber was like calling out to her and she had this sort of real innate ability, these innate Jedi abilities, you know, and they basically took that concept and threw it out the window in the second movie. And they made it sort of... It, they made it sort of about, like, oh, anyone could be a Jedi. Okay, sure. I mean, anybody with hard enough work, it's, it's you know, the Force isn't a superpower. You know, if you're a Star Wars fan, the Force is, is a skill that you cultivate and that you learn to use over many, many years of hard work and training. It's not a superpower. Um, there are some individuals who are, you know, more adept at using it, just sort of in a, in a raw, sort of natural way, like Anakin was. Um, or that maybe that Luke was because of their their blood, right, and the M counts and all that stuff. But they the end of the movie, it was sort of like, oh no, there's you know, it's it's more like a superpower. Like anybody, certain people have it, and they and anyone can use it. And that's never what it was about. Um, and then the third movie, they kind of go into this whole thing where Ray is actually Palpatine's granddaughter, and it's like, you know, they bring him back. The whole thing was a mess. It started off like it could have gone somewhere. Uh, good and it, it just was a mess so since then i mean aside from rogue one which is a pretty decent movie and um in andor which i'm going to talk about in a minute um the stuff they put out has been pretty much dog shit uh i mean the the cartoons are good they're fun i think they're great for kids you know they're good stories that's fine but for me as a star wars fan as an adult like i'm looking for something a little bit more substantive um and the first season of the mandalorian was pretty good you know, it was sort of, it sort of brought it back down to earth a little bit, which I think was good, especially since the, like, after the sequel trilogy came out, it, it was nice having it kind of come down to earth, and it was sort of back to being a space western, and you had the Baby Yoda character, which was really interesting, um, and then in the second season, you know, it was a little hit or miss with the, with the episodes, but it ended so well, and I'm not even talking about Luke Skywalker returning, like, that was cool, um, and it was a cool part of the ending, but just that they they built up this connection between the Mandalorian and Grogu so well um, that where it started out where he was sort of like looked at Grogu like an annoyance, like oh, I have to take care of this thing now and I have to I'm on this quest to try to return him to the Jedi like this, like what a bummer, you know, I'm a bounty hunter. And then over the course of time, he develops this bond where it's sort of like a father son type relationship and then he has to say goodbye 
I mean, it was it was it was heart wrenching. It really was. It was really, really, really well done. Um, it really was. And then they took that and they took a big giant hot crap all over it with the Book of Boba Fett and what they did with Luke and Grogu. Um, and then with this third season of The Mandalorian, which we're in the fifth episode now, I can't even I can't tell you who the villain is. I mean, it's it seems like it's Moff Gideon. Has he been in the fucking show? He's not hasn't even they've mentioned him. They showed his abandoned ship at the end of episode five. We haven't seen him. We're already more than halfway through the season. And it's just like, what like what is this? Um, you know, and another part of the problem is is that the the, the episodes are way too short for an eight episode season. Uh the Bad Batch, by comparison, Bad Batch is a pretty good show. You know, they over the course of the whole season. They've done a good job of developing the relationships between the characters and you start to sort of get invested in them. But it takes 16 episodes to do it because the episodes are only about 30, 35 minutes long. So you need like 16 episodes or even 20 episodes if they wanted to do it. It might have been better uh, to really, really develop what you need to develop. Um, you look at a series like Game of Thrones or The Sopranos, which would routinely have 10 to 13 episode seasons. Uh, and those episodes were an hour long each. You know, if you're only going to have 10 episodes and eight episodes, especially those episodes need to be an hour long, you know, or, or at bare minimum need to be 50 minutes long. They just do. Um, there isn't enough time to develop relationships and connections and um, a villain and a in a battle. And there isn't time. You know, it, again, there's three episodes left, six, seven and eight. And where are we? Um, it, it's, you know, it. it requires the writers and you know the, the writing sucks it really does but I, I don't know whether or not to blame the writers because they, they don't have enough space they don't have enough time to to do what is being asked of them and i think it seems i think john favreau is the one writing these episodes i don't know what the fuck he's doing i mean you're telling me if these episodes weren't fi all 50 minutes long that that disney couldn't afford that or that, that they wouldn't put that much behind this show their flagship star wars show I mean, I, I don't understand it. Like, they just came out and talked about, uh, Disney did, about how they want to focus on quality over quantity. Well, sometimes you need a certain level of quantity to get the quality that you want. Um, and I, I think if you're talking about quality over quantity, what you're really talking about is maybe we shouldn't try to pump out eight different shows. You know, maybe we should only try to do two shows a year maybe three shows a year but let's really let's make each of those shows um longer with more money put into it with more development with more thought and time okay so there you have a situation where with within each of those shows you still have the quantity right you're actually increasing the quantity and that's going to help you increase the quality in that sense but when you increase the quantity of how many shows you're doing you're spreading yourself too thin Right. So it's not as simple as just, okay, shorter is better. It's sometimes longer is better. Um, and that brings me to Andor. So I'm one of these people who thinks Andor was, I, I think people will look back at Andor, people who are Star Wars fans, and, and they'll say, this is, this is the route they should go. Um, now, there were problems with the show. Uh, it didn't end that well. I don't think the ending was that great. I loved that the episodes were longer. I mean, it was just nice to be able to, you could really kind of develop things in, in, inside each episode. You could really develop things um, uh, well. Um, 
And by the time you got to the end of the season, which was, I think it was an eight episode season, I think, or maybe it was six, might have even been six episodes, which again, they, they could have used another episode or two. Um, it's almost like they have this number of minutes that they can't go past, you know? So, but I think Andor made the correct decision. If, if they said, this is how many minutes you have, they put it into six longer episodes as opposed to eight shorter episodes. And I think that was smart. I think that was smart. The writing was fantastic. The acting was excellent. Diego Luna was nominated for an Emmy. And I, you know, I don't put a lot of stock in these nominations, but it does mean something. Uh, and his performance was good. The, the, the people who should have been nominated were Andy Serkis, who played the, uh, the guy in the prison. I can't remember his name. Um, he was excellent. He was excellent. And um, Stellan Skarsgård, who played um, Luthen, um, was fantastic. The writing and the acting, working together, great production. Um, you know, the show didn't it didn't feel uh, enough like Star Wars in certain elements, especially with the I love the music. The music was cool, but it wasn't Star Wars, really. It was something else. It was like cyberpunk or something, maybe, or it was just darker. It was like Dark Knight, uh, Christopher Nolan, Batman type thing. And the whole show was darker, uh, which is fine. Like, that's the tone they're going for. That's fine. You can have a Star Wars show like that. And it's definitely geared more toward adult, towards adults. Which I like, you know, it's almost like this third season of Mandalorian. They're, they're like doubling down on they're trying to make it even more for kids. It's like simplistic and goofy. Um, and, you know, you can do content for kids that isn't simplistic and isn't goofy. Uh, Bluey's a great example. The show Bluey, um, I can watch that show and enjoy it. It's funny. It makes me laugh. Sometimes it gets me in the feels a little bit, you know, with the with the, the parents and the kids. Like it's it's really well done. The music, the the storylines, the the lessons, all that stuff. It's great. The kids love it. We love it. We watch it together. Um, you know, it just because it's a kids show doesn't mean it has to be simplistic and stupid. And that's like what they're doing with Mandalorian. Um, but I wanted to play this this uh, this scene from Andor. This scene, it really exemplifies how good the writing and how good the acting was in Andor. And obviously, you're not going to be able to see it. But uh, it's a speech that Luthen gives where he's talking about sacrifice. And it's, it's sort of, it's really his big moment. Now, again, the, the ending of the show, I, I ah, didn't, it just, you know, it just didn't stick the landing as well as I had hoped it would. Because there was a lot of buildup in this show. A lot of buildup. And so when you build up that much, you need a you need a solid landing. Like, you know, Mary Lou Retton in the 84 Olympics or whatever whenever the fuck it was. Like you need a solid that like, just stick the landing. They didn't do it, and that hurt the show as a whole. But all the other elements, um, I think bring a lot of promise to what they can do with Star Wars and what people can do with Star Wars. I, you know, and there's a cult fan base for Andor. Um, you know, I think it suffered mightily. Following having to follow the sh one of the, probably the shittiest thing that Disney Star Wars has ever put out, which is Kenobi, um, which I'm going to do. I'll do a whole segment on that in a, in a future episode uh, for my Star Wars fans out there. It, it was bad. It was fucking bad. Um, but let's let's listen to this speech from Andor. It's so good. And um, it's a good example of what the show did right. And what do you sacrifice? Calm. Kindness, kinship, love. I've given up all chance at inner peace. I made my mind a sunless space. 
I share my dreams with ghosts. I wake up every day to an equation I wrote 15 years ago from which there's only one conclusion. I'm damned for what I do. My anger, my ego, my unwillingness to yield, my, my eagerness to fight, have set me on a path from which there's no escape. I yearn to be a savior against injustice without contemplating the cost, and by the time I look down, there's no longer any ground beneath my feet. What is my, what is my sacrifice? I'm condemned to use the tools of my enemy defeat them. I burn my decency for someone else's future. I burn my life to make a sunrise that I know I'll never see. Now, the ego that started this fight will never have a, a mirror or an audience or, or the light of gratitude. So what do I sacrifice? Everything! Man, is that good. Holy moly. I mean, it's borderline Shakespearean how good it is now you take that clip and you compare it to pretty much any line of dialogue from the mandalorian i mean it's not even close it's not even close you know i mean with andor you know i was kind of bummed every time an episode was over and then you know i was looking forward to it every week because it was interesting it was interesting it was character driven um it, it made the Empire seem scary again, which is a nice change of pace. Instead of these flunky stormtroopers who can't shoot anything, and they actually made them seem terrifying and imposing and scary and big and tough and powerful. Right? It ups the stakes. There's no stakes in, in, in any narrative when the villain or the antagonist is neutered. It, there's no stakes. There's, there's no there's no chance in your mind that that you know the mission will fail, and even though you know ultimately the the ultimate mission succeeds, right? They they end up blowing up the Death Star in the end, which you know that's sort of the end of the Andor Rogue One story is that they end up blowing up the Death Star in A New Hope. It, it doesn't mean any individual mission that they're on is going to succeed. It doesn't mean that any of these characters they've introduced are going to survive, right? Um, like with Andy Serkis's character, it's, it seems like he's dead. We don't really know. I mean, but it seems like it. And so there was real stakes there. You got to really kind of um, identify with this character and learn to, learn to like this character. And man, was that a great performance. Um, if I had a little bit more time, I'd play Andy Serkis's uh, speech. He gave a big speech uh, in the show that was amazing. And uh, I think him and Stellan Skarsgård should have been nominated for Emmys. Diego Luna... You know, it was a good performance. It wasn't, it wasn't legendary. Um, and maybe as a lead actor, I can see maybe why he got nominated in that category. But the fact that, I mean, it's pretty ridiculous that Stellan Skarsgård and Andy Serkis, neither one of them got nominated for Andor. And Patty Constantine didn't get nominated for Best Supporting Actor for House of the Dragon, who probably had the performance of, of the last three or four years in TV. So, you know, that's why I say I don't put much stock in these award shows and who they nominate and who they don't. Um, but certainly um, the idea that anybody would be nominated for an acting award uh, in a Star Wars show is pretty wild. Um, and we're definitely not going to see that from The Mandalorian. I mean, there's the acting is, I'm sorry, it's just not that great. Maybe they're just given such shitty material that there's just not much they can do with it. They're, you know, they're mostly wearing their helmets most of the time, you know. Um 
So, you know, we'll see what happens. We'll see what happens with that. I'm looking forward to the Ahsoka show. It'll be interesting to see how that does, you know, and where they go with that. But, man, these episodes got to be longer. They have to be longer. Unless you're going to do a 16-episode season. You know? I mean, these episodes have got to be at least a bare, bare minimum 45 minutes long. And I mean 45 minutes of content, not, you know, 38 minutes of content and seven minutes of credits and intros and last time on and next time on and all that shit. It needs to, there needs to be at least 45 minutes of actual content at a, at a minimum. And there, and we're not going to get that with these shows, I don't think. Um, it's just not enough. It's not enough for them to really get into these characters. So um, anyway, thank you guys for, for listening in. Um, I'm really enjoying doing this podcast. I can't wait to make more episodes. We've got some great guests confirmed. They're going to be coming on the show. I'm really looking forward to talking to them. Please uh, subscribe to the podcast. Subscribe to my YouTube channel. Um, you can, um, the podcast should be on all of the major platforms. Um, and please check those out. So I'll see you guys soon. You've been listening to the Shut Up, You're Always Talking podcast. I gotta go. Go where? We just got I got that thing. I gotta go. With pizza artist Eric John. Uh, wait a couple of minutes. We'll all leave together, okay? This way you don't go out like a bunch of hobos staggering out one at a time. Please like, share, and subscribe. Now go home and get your fucking shine box.